This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. What to do with debt, where to go to get debt help, and this segment is about some common solutions that you might find out there, or you will find out there, and whether you choose to jump on the bandwagon or not, it's entirely up to you. So Blair's going to explain lots of different resources that you might consider reaching out for guidance in dealing with your debt, as well as some debt management solutions. So Blair, you and your team at Sands & Associates talk to people every day, hundreds of people every day, I'm sure, who are looking for help to figure out what they can do with their debt. So besides going to a license and insolvency trustee, where else would people often turn or what have you found that where people go for debt advice or planning? Well, from my experience, Elaine, most people don't really know what resources they have available for support when they find themselves in debt. It's not a situation, you know, people want to spend a lot of time in or spend a lot of time contemplating. So it often means people have a series of trial and error before they actually find the right professional to help them out of a tough debt situation. Uh, Sometimes that can be discouraging, but it can also come as a cost to finances, to your time and even your personal well-being. So there's a lot of reasons why you don't want to stay in debt any longer longer than you have to. Um, So it can feel stressful there, but it can also feel overwhelming when you're trying to understand all the different approaches and decide on which strategy is going to be your best bet. Um, You know, the simplest point I want to make today is if you're dealing with anything debt related, you don't need to, to think too far. A licensed insolvency trustee is your most appropriate resource to seek out. Licensed insolvency trustee are Canada's only regulated debt health professionals, specifically trained, certified, regulated to provide debt advice and debt management services to both consumers and businesses. So if you're dealing with somebody that's not a licensed insolvency trustee, you know, various professionals have various different skills. But if your concern is mainly around debt, an LIT is definitely the best place for you to start. Okay. Well, let's talk about the other ones. So people are aware, oh, oh, you're not a licensed insolvency trustee. Oh, you're not actually regulated by anybody to help me with this thing. Because I think that's important. Well, for sure. And there's definitely, you know, a number of people in the financial sphere that just have different focuses and might be experts in their area of expertise, uh, as I'm an expert in debt, but I wouldn't be giving you advice on insurance, for example, you'd want to go to an insurance agent for it. So a lot of times people start off with a financial planner, and a financial planner can be a great help with investments, with insurance, retirement, estate planning, and so on and so forth. Uh, and if you find yourself in debt, the financial planner might be able to help you by looking at your budget and giving you some basic coaching. Uh, but you do need to understand that a financial planner doesn't have any education in the type of debt resolution options that exist in Canada. Uh, and these legislation and regulations change often. You need to make sure you're getting the most um, up-to-date information for your situation. Um, so at Sands & Associates, there's a number of financial planners that I work with where if I've got a client who's finishing a proceeding, I know when they're going to get set up to start saving money again, the financial planner can help them. And these same professionals, if they have someone come to them who's got a debt situation, they'll refer them to a licensed and insolvency trustee and say, okay, let's get the debt situation sorted first. And then we can talk about putting together this great financial plan for the future. 
Uh, aside from a financial planner, a lot of people will approach their bank or other lenders. And if you meet the eligibility criteria, your bank might be able to offer you some options to restructure your debt. Uh, and a bank advisor is going to tell you, you know, here's the options, here's what's available. You have to be careful if you're dealing with a bank or other lender that they're not going to reduce your debt. At best, you might be able to reduce some interest. And obviously, there's a difference there of whose best interest are they looking out for. They're looking out for the bank's best interest, certainly. Uh, and that might not be the same as your best interest. Uh, the last couple of people that, that uh, individuals tend to reach out to if they're having financial trouble, uh, one to be very careful of, and it sounds like a little bit of a, of a misnomer here, but debt consultants and credit counselors, uh, very much buyer beware because the programs, the plans, and the services um, offered by various consultants or credit counselors can vary widely from their fees, their expertise, and there's a severe lack of regulation. Literally anybody can call themselves a credit counselor. There's no regulation against it. And there are some good credit counselors and some bad ones, but you really have to look at the fine print and understand in many cases, a credit counselor is actually acting as a debt repayment agent for your creditors. They might be able to help you reduce interest, but you're still going to pay everything back in full. And they're not going to have the skills to help you understand all of your options like a licensed insolvency trustee would be able to do. Uh, the final category of individuals people tend to reach out to, and this makes good sense, is family and friends. And of course, you know, the emotional support and encouragement can be a really big help. You know, if you can share your problem with someone that you care about and get some support, that's great. But you definitely need to think twice about getting into a situation where someone's going to try to help you by loaning you money or by co-signing a debt, a co-signing a consolidation loan. In many ways, you're just enlarging the problem. And I've had so many situations where family and friends have stepped in to help. And then the person still ends up needing to restructure their debts later. But now they're going to hurt the co-signer when they're left on the hook for a debt that can't be paid. So those are the main places where people start. But certainly the takeaway is if you start with a licensed insolvency trustee, uh, you're definitely going to save yourself a lot of legwork and potentially heartache. Before we talk to Blair and ask him about debt management strategies and options, uh, or options actually, uh, if you already know that you want to reach out to Sands and Associates, it's very easy to do. Their 1-800 number is 1-800-661-3030. Also, their website is fabulous, sands-trustee.com. It's just filled with great questions and really thoughtful answers to all kinds of situations if you need a little bit more information before you make that phone call. But making the phone phone call is always the best thing to do for sure to set up that appointment. It's 1-800-661-3030. So let's talk about the basic overview of some of the debt management options or strategies that folks might try or consider trying. Yeah, so we go through a few options here, Elaine, and certainly everyone's situation is different and the types of debt and the balances that you have are often going to be really key factors in what option is best for you. Everybody's situation is unique, but there are some, some typical hallmarks of each option we should call out. Uh, so, you know, the first one is the idea of a do-it-yourself plan. So if you don't have a whole lot of debt, there's not that many demands on your finances, you know, you might be able to get out of a debt situation just with some careful budgeting. So a couple of things here you'd want to start by listing all of your debts uh, and then you can choose to prioritize either based on paying off your debts with the highest interest rates uh, first or sometimes just clearing some of the debts with the lower balances even though they might be a little bit lower interest just getting them off your mind uh, you could also try to negotiate with your creditors to, to get a lower interest rate on your debt uh, one thing to keep in mind is if you're trying to do a self-directed strategy if it's going to take you any more than five years to get out of debt you would definitely benefit from discussing with a licensed insolvency trustee the 
maximum term for a proposal is five years, and a lot of them are shorter than that. So do be careful if you're working out a do-it-yourself plan that you're not putting yourself on a plan that's going to have you paying off for decades, just making minimum payments, but really not getting ahead quickly. But if you only owe a few creditors money and the, the balances aren't hugely significant, sometimes just a little bit of budgeting can get you where you need to be. How about changing um, the borrowing structure? What does that mean and how does one even go about doing that? And, and is, there, is there a big benefit to it? Yeah, so this, it's kind of a, a little bit of a verbose way of saying, you know, consolidating your loans together, trying to just change the interest rates that you're being charged and simplifying things a little bit. So you might owe a bunch of, of different creditors money, some at higher interest rates or lower. So you can often save some money on your interest costs by combining some balances together, whether it's onto a line of credit, consolidation loan, if you're able to qualify for it, or maybe even a balance transfer to a credit card at a lower interest rate. But of course, you need to be careful, there can be some costs to do transactions and Sometimes lower interest rates are just promotional for a period of time. Uh, there's not really much benefit to this other than you're reducing your interest and you're simplifying your payments, but you still have to repay all your balances in full and you'll still have to pay whatever that new interest rate is. Uh, again, as I mentioned earlier, if you're only able to get a consolidation loan by getting a co-signer um, to, to assign on the dotted line with you or by pledging some assets, I would say certainly think twice, pause, get some advice before you take that step. Uh, our advice on when it's wise to co-sign debt for somebody else is two words, almost never. So definitely think twice between, before you, you start to get a co-signer involved or if you are that co-signer trying to help somebody out. Does a credit counseling plan ever work for folks? Well, it certainly can. And I know if someone listens to the show long term, you'll, you'll hear me again and again saying there's a lot of concerns with credit counseling. And, and these are very, very valid concerns. But credit counseling can work for certain people. If you just have a few basic consumer debts, so nothing owed to the government, the government will never work with a credit counselor. But if it's just a few basic consumer debts, if the total balance is low, well, then sometimes a repayment plan through a credit counselor, it could be what you need if you're able to pay all the debts back in full, but you just need to break on the interest. So a credit counseling plan does not reduce your balance, but usually it will be able to freeze future interest as long as the creditors will agree to that. Uh, you definitely need to have eyes wide open to understand which of your debts can't be included in a credit counseling plan. And again, anything to Canada Revenue Agency, anything to the provincial governments, government debts just can never be dealt with in a credit counseling plan. Um, and you need to make sure you're getting value for money because no service is free in this world. Um, so if you're going on to a credit counseling plan, make sure you understand what you're going to be paying in fees and that you're going to get value for that, that the interest that you're you're going to be saved is going to eclipse the amount of fees that you're paying okay so again we're we're left with probably the best way uh if not the only way to deal super effectively with any kind of debt and that's making a consumer proposal yeah, it's not right for every situation, but I will tell you that 85% of the people that are coming in to see us at Sands and Associates, this is what they're opting to do. So even though bankruptcy is an option, certainly the vast majority of individuals are choosing to file a consumer proposal. And as long as your debts are less than $250,000, that excludes any mortgages that you might have. So it'd really be, there's not many people that are carrying $250,000 of unsecured debt. So it's a very flexible tool depending on your debt load, and it can deal with virtually all types of debt in a 
consumer proposal. So I was very explicit where a credit counselor can't deal with government debts or student loans or what have you. A consumer proposal can deal with all of those things from consumer credit cards, government tax debt, even CERB overpayments, um, student loans, as I mentioned. And the way a consumer proposal works is not only do you save all of the interest, which is great, but you get the debt reduced down to what you can afford. So oftentimes the debts are cut by up to 50 to 80 percent. Uh, you don't need to have any credit history or credit rating as a qualifying factor because you're not borrowing any money. What's happening is a trustee is stepping in between you and your creditors, kind of like a referee, working out a reasonable deal. And in just about every case, your creditors will agree to a reduction in a consumer proposal because the alternative is often that they might end up with nothing or a much lower recovery uh, if you chose to file for bankruptcy or just not pay them in general. So a consumer proposal, very flexible, very powerful, um, and it can only be filed by working with a licensed insolvency trustee. So if you're starting to research online, you're typing in consumer proposals, sometimes you'll see some things that look you know, very shiny and interesting. But if you get down to it, unless it's a licensed insolvency trustee, that person can't help you file the proposal. And it's probably just going to charge you a bunch of fees to help explain things to you. So come directly to a trustee, you'll definitely get your best outcome. And Sands and Associates is a terrific place, if not the best place to start. They're very easy to access. Their phone number, 1-800-661-3030 for that first uh, consultation, as well as to find an office near you. And there's offices all over British Columbia right now. Um, and as well, their website, sands-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates, helping you get out of debt. So in this segment, it's called Consumer Debt Facts and Fictions, separating some key facts about consumer debt and debt solutions from fiction. The old adage, knowing is not owing. So if you were faced with a debt problem or are facing a debt problem or having trouble making all your monthly debt payments, would you know what your rights are and what the remedies could be? So do you know where to turn to for qualified debt advice? Well, Blair's going to separate some important facts about consumer debt and debt solutions from common fiction. And you might be surprised as we go through these thinking, oh, I thought that was true. <laughs> and in fact, no, it's not. Uh, so I want to start with the, the recent BC Consumer Debt Study that was uh, done by Sands & Associates. And they do it, you do it every year, don't you, Blair? That's right. Yeah, it's our, I think, ninth issue this year. But yeah, every year we ninth. do it. Yeah. And so finding that only 5% of consumers that they talked to said they got professional debt help right away or started looking for it right away. And then when they were asked about reasons for delaying getting that professional help, 29% of the people polled said it was because they didn't know where to get the help. So Blair, how do you, what do you say, what do you say to that? That's quite high, 30%. Yeah, well, we've got more work to do, uh, Elaine. So I, I hope <laughs> if folks are listening, they, they understand, you know, that most people, they're not aware of the things we're talking about on this show. So there's just a really significant gap in financial literacy in Canada. And even though access to credit is so normalized, you know, everyone's expected to use credit, use credit cards, you can barely use cash at some places. Now, there's just such a lack of openness and general knowledge about debt. Uh, and especially when there's a problem, you know, it's really not clear where individuals should go for help. You know, people might 
might know in general, okay, when they might turn to an accountant or a lawyer or a financial planner, but most people have no idea when they should reach out for debt help, and they don't know that a licensed insolvency trustee can be their best ally to deal with a debt problem and help them move move forward. So, you know, shows like this, topics like this, Elaine, they're all about taking the stigma away, and I'm always so happy we can go through um, segments where we're going to talk about facts and show, you know, what's true and what's not and really give some straight, good, some practical advice for people as, as they face situations. And I think, Blair, what you said was really important. Um, we are constantly faced with all these options to get more credit, how to get money, how to do it this way or do it that way, but very little information on on good counseling around money, or if you do get into a problem, how to fix it and how to fix it well, as opposed to the other things that we're confronted with all the time, like uh, pay loan debts and, or not pay loan debts, but um, what are they called? Help me, Blair. When pay loan debts, that's what it is. Oh, Somebody going oh, for payday a, yeah. payday loans. Yeah. Pay, payday loan. That's it. I've got my yeah. words switched oh, yeah. around. The worst all right. Of the worst. So for, yeah. The first thing, the first piece of fiction, most consumer debt problems are bad due to, uh, are, are due rather to bad budgeting and overspending. People are in debt because of bad budgeting and overspending. And what do you say to that? Yeah, you know, the, the general conception is, you know, people who go bankrupt, they just made bad decisions. And, you know, if I or whoever else were facing the same situation, you know, I could have had a different outcome if I just made a better decision. Um, and, you know, there's a piece of that. You know, what we found is about a third of individuals, actually less than a third, about 28% of people who had filed a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal, they said that, yeah, the reason I'm doing this is because I overextended my credit because of general financial mismanagement. I just made some mistakes and, and that's that. I probably could have done something different. Okay, that's 28%. For the vast majority of individuals, uh, the reason why they're seeking help with their debts has nothing to do with any decisions that they've made, good or bad. It's just that something has happened in their life, an external shock that's left them unable to honor the obligations they thought they could if that, if that shock hadn't happened. So the four of the top five causes, uh, one is essential cost of living that income couldn't cover. So we've all seen people use credit uh, increasingly over the past couple of years as inflation has increased. Um, and people are saying, you know, cost of living has just outstripped my ability to pay for it. That was about 18% of people who filed for insolvency said there's nothing different that I've done. It's just this, it's become so expensive to live and I've had to use credit to fill the gap. Um, the other three causes, uh, one is illness, injury, or health-related problems. So uh, you can imagine if you're ill, your income is often interrupted. You may or may not have really good disability coverage. So that's a key driver of people seeking help with their debt is suddenly their health has, has been compromised. Uh, marital or relationship breakdown, uh, traditionally a very high cause of people seeking insolvency help because suddenly you've got to divide uh, various assets. You've got to reestablish a household. Quite often if the marriage deteriorates, there's not the same focus on financial um, stability and making good decisions that there might have been just due to the issues the couple is dealing with. Uh, and then finally, the last one, job-related issues, unemployment, layoff, reduction in pay. So if you think about it, you know, no one tries to get sick, uh, no one intends to get divorced, uh, and certainly no one intends to, you know, be laid off from a job that was, that was paying the bills. So the vast majority of people that need help with their debt, they might have done all the right things, as, as we often say, but they end up in a situation where they might be needing to file either a bankruptcy or a proposal. So the fact that most debt problems are due to bad budgeting or overspending, complete fiction. It's a very small percentage. It's generally due to circumstances outside of an individual's control. And nothing says uh, that more quickly uh, and devastatingly than 
I know, a pandemic, right? I mean, things can change at the turn of a dime these days. Uh, your situation is this, and then all of a sudden it's that. So uh, such good advice there. Uh, and if you know, if you already fit into that category and you know that you need to take some action and want to take some action to deal with your debt situation, give Sands & Associates a call. 1-800-661-3030 and get started. So, uh, Blair, can you take us through some other facts and fictions that are often misunderstood when it comes to sort of overall responsibility for a debt? Yeah, this next one we, we still run into quite often, so it, it definitely uh, bears spending a little bit of time on. And the fact is that getting married does not make you responsible to your spouse's creditors. So just very clearly, you are not responsible for repaying the debts of your spouse simply by virtue of marriage, cohabitation, or even if, God forbid, they were to pass away, you don't inherit your spouse's debt. So it's a common misconception that spouses become legally responsible for paying each other's debts once they're married. We've probably all heard the phrase, you know, you marry somebody, you marry their debt. It's a complete falsehood. You do not assume responsibility uh, for a spouse's debt just because you become married, cohabitated, had a child, anything like that. Um, the only way a spouse can be responsible for another spouse's debt is either a one on a very deliberate basis. You decide you're going to co-sign, you're going to co-borrow, you're going to sign together for something that could be a loan, a lease, or a credit card. So if you keep your finances separate, that's not going to, to cause any issues. The other scenario um, is if one partner incurred a bunch of debt when their relationship was going on, but then the relationship ends, there's a divorce under the BC Family Law Act, um, some of those debts can be split with the other, uh, other partner, even though they didn't incur the debt, they could be asked to pay half, but that's not the same as a visa trying to collect from two two different people. Visa can still only collect from the spouse who owed the debt. That's one spouse making a claim to the other saying, you know what, I want you to pay half of this debt that we incurred together. But the vast majority of cases, especially if the marriage or relationship is going to continue, there's no automatic relationship between being married and suddenly owing each other's debts. So many couples would make different financial decisions uh, if they were aware of that fact, because I've seen far too often uh, a couple gets married, one person has a bunch of assets, the other has a bunch of debt. Uh, um, and the person with assets sells those assets to pay off the family debt thinking they had to do so. Meanwhile, they could have kept those assets and the person who had the debt could have restructured it, perhaps done a proposal, and the family unit would have been that much better off. So make sure you understand clearly what you owe and what you don't owe. And just because a collection agent or someone at the bank tells you, well, this is a joint responsibility, you know, demand the proof of that. Make sure you can see where you signed to be jointly responsible. And if you haven't, well, then there's, there's no basis for that liability. What about old debts? Do they do they ever expire or disappear? Well, that's another good good question. So this is the fiction that old debts eventually expire. And in many fictions or many falsehoods, there's an element of truth. So let's, you know, dig a little bit deeper on this. So debts don't typically expire after a given amount of time. But what does happen is the creditor's time in which they can take legal action against you does expire. So in the province of BC, you might have heard about a two-year statute of limitations. And if you haven't, let me be the first to tell you, there is a two-year statute of limitations on basic consumer debts. And what that means is from two years from after the date the debt was incurred or the last payment against it was made, 
where the last written acknowledgement of the debt was made by the person who owes the money. So even sending an email saying, yeah, I owe this money can reset that two-year clock. But if it's been two years or more since any of the above things have happened, the creditor who's owed that money can no longer take legal action against you to force you to pay. So if you owe somebody money, they can call you, harass you, threaten to take you to court. But until they actually take you to court, they can't start seizing your assets, taking your wages or anything like that. Um, If they've waited more than two years since the day you last made a payment or signed an acknowledgement on the debt, well, then they lose that right to ever take you to court. So again, it doesn't mean that debt is expired. It doesn't mean that that debt is suddenly gone and will never reappear again. It does mean that you can't be taken to court to be forced to pay that debt. So for some people, that's a lifesaver. You know, they might be 70, 75 years old on pensions, aren't too concerned about a credit rating. They'll just say, well, there's nothing they can do to me anyway. They can call whatever. If someone is earlier on in their financial life, they still might want to deal with that debt because it will be a negative mark on their credit. They might have new collectors, you know, every few months harassing them. Uh, But legally, after two years, there can be nothing that's going to force them to pay that debt. Uh, One carve out on this is for most consumer debts, but it doesn't apply to anything like child or spousal support arrears, which I think people would generally get. You can't wait out those obligations and make them go away, nor would you want to. Uh, You can't do this for any debts you've already been sued for and there's been a court order against you. Um, That doesn't have a two-year limitation period. And finally, if you have any government debt, whether it's the CRA or something like ICBC, there's no limitation period. But things like credit credit cards, payday loans, lines of credit, all of those are subject to the basic two-year limitation period. Now, we've just got about a minute left, and and I want to talk a little bit about the CRA. Uh, I only need to worry about Canada Revenue Agency if I owe money, and, and you say that's fiction. That is fiction because a lot of people think, well, I'm not going to file a tax return this year. I don't think I owe them money. And then they get a few years behind. It's actually worse in CRA's mind to not file a tax return than to file a return where you show a balance owing. They view that filing a return is, you know, the basic price of living in a civic society. So don't become a non-filer because eventually what CRA might do is what's called an arbitrary assessment where they just basically file your taxes for you, make up a number, and then you have to go through and disprove that. And suddenly they might start collecting against you pretty heavily. So there is hope when there's CRA debt, a trustee can help you reduce that debt, but it all starts with getting those returns filed. So even if you don't think you owe money, get the returns filed every year. And if you do owe money, make sure you file those returns because it will put you in a better category than otherwise. Um, And if you want a place to start, if you're thinking, oh my gosh, you just described my situation. What do I do now? This is what you do. You give them a call, Sands and Associates at 1-800-661-3030 or check out their website. You can certainly get an appointment through there and look at all the terrific information they've got for you uh, that sometimes might explain something a little bit better so you know for sure that's the step you want to take in any event. The website address is sands-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. So we're going to talk about one of the options, one of the strategies that Sands & Associates uses a great deal with its clients. It's a consumer proposal. And we've got, we're going to answer all your questions about a consumer proposal, how it works and why it works and, and learning about the cost of the consumer proposal. It's a debt consolidation as well as you want to look for the red flags, what to be looking out for when you go through this process. Um, Blair's going to explain what you can expect cost-wise when doing a consumer proposal. Blair, do you want to start with just outlining some of the basic points about them, just in case somebody hasn't heard about it and how the whole process works? 
Oh, certainly. I often say a consumer proposal is the most powerful debt solution that you may never have heard of. And, you know, we've been trying to, to publicize the term for quite some time, but still a lot of people that come in to see us, they're just, um, you know, shocked that this option exists and they wonder why no one told them about it before. So for anybody listening, this might be some really good information you can share with others who are in a tough spot. They might think this is just the solution they need. What a consumer proposal is, it's a debt consolidation solution that has great advantages over traditional debt consolidation. And what we normally mean when we say debt consolidation is that you go and you get a loan, you pay off all of your other debt, um, but you're still paying the debt back in full, but maybe at a lower interest rate. What a consumer proposal is, is it's all the debts together with a single payment, but you don't pay any interest. Literally zero interest is, is charged on top of the debt. And what's even more powerful is the debt is reduced down to the amount that you can actually afford to repay. So your total debt could be cut by 50%, by up to 80%. I've seen both higher and lower amounts of that, but it's often a significant reduction and creditors agree to forgive the unpaid balance and consider the debts paid as full. And people often ask, well, why would they agree to that? Why wouldn't they want full payment? And the reason is when you file a consumer proposal through a licensed insolvency trustee, we have to do a report on that proposal explaining to the people you owe money to, if they don't accept this proposal, you might choose to file for bankruptcy. And in every situation, bankruptcy is going to end up with a worse outcome for them. They'll end up with less money. The win-win here is you don't want to file the bankruptcy that's your win is getting to do the proposal and the win to your creditors is they're actually going to get some money back on their debt as opposed to potentially zero if you filed for bankruptcy um, so when you do a consumer proposal you've got a legal process it's got built-in consumer safeguards and some resources along the way um, you get the lowest monthly payment of all consolidation options available because if you compare this to you know getting a consolidation loan or working with a credit counselor for example you're paying back a 100% of the principal, whereas in a consumer proposal, you're paying back generally a fraction of it. It's often quite a bit less than 100%. Uh, what's very powerful too, and this doesn't exist with other means of debt consolidation, just with a consumer proposal, is you get automatic protection from your creditors. So even government creditors like Canada Revenue Agency, they can't opt out of a proposal. They can't start seizing assets. They can't even call you uh, or threaten you with anything. If the proposal is in force, you've got that protection for as long as the proposal is in force. Uh, and then finally, during the proposal, you get one-on-one -on -one personal financial counseling with a qualified counselor at least twice during the proposal. You'll have those sessions. We'll talk to you about rebuilding your credit, about putting all of, all of this behind you and moving forward with really good financial habits. Um, final point is just on eligibility for a consumer proposal. You have to own more than $1,000 and less than $250,000, not counting your mortgage or a car loan. Um, and if you've got two people, let's say a couple that are working on their debts together, everything is doubled. So it can be up to $500,000 of debt you can deal with in a consumer proposal. So it's very flexible, very powerful option. Uh, in some ways, it can sound too good to be true, but it is true. Um, and you might never have heard of it because really only trustees are folks who are telling people about this option. Many times the people that you owe money to would be quite happy for you to just continue to make the minimum payments or pay off a very high consolidation loan, whereas a proposal might be your better option. And I just want to throw in here too, only a licensed insolvency trustee in Canada can facilitate a consumer proposal for you. So uh, nobody else can promise this. Nobody else can do this for you except for a licensed insolvency trustee. If you already know that this is the step you want to take or you want to find out more, you want to sit down and talk with somebody, uh, 
making an appointment is very easy to do with uh, Sands and Associates. They've got offices all over British Columbia. This is the phone number, 1-800-661-3030. The website, if you want to check out, uh, start there. You can certainly do that at sands-trustee.com. So, Blair, let's talk about the costs involved and the charges. What can people expect to pay for services and other incidentals because sometimes they come up for in different ways and and depending on how you decide to handle it uh if you're moving forward with uh, filing a consumer proposal yeah that's such an important question elaine and you you made a great point that only a licensed insolvency trustee can file a consumer proposal so really that's the only person you should be dealing with so you don't need to have a referral you don't need to go through um, any sort of special advisor so if someone is telling you you know hey to do a consumer proposal you need to pay a bunch of upfront fees odds are you're not dealing with a licensed insolvency trustee, you're dealing with someone who's going to charge you some fees to eventually introduce you to a licensed insolvency trustee, which you don't need to pay a penny to do so. So from our point of view, it should never cost you anything to find out what options are available to you. So when you sit down with us at Sands and Associates, we'll go through your entire situation. We'll give you some general debt advice, answer your questions. We'll do a professional assessment of your personal financial situation, explain to you how all the options can work, uh, and give you a calculation of what a consumer proposal consolidation might look like uh, compared to other options. Um, in a consumer proposal, you've asked me, well, what fees do you have to pay above and beyond you know, what you're able to repay on your debts? So if it's determined that you, know, you can afford to repay 30% of your debts, for example, what are you charged on top of that? And Elaine, this is an, an answer I'm so happy to get. The answer is zero. So in a consumer proposal, whatever you can afford to repay on your debts is what you repay. There are costs to the proceeding, and they're all set by a government tariff, but essentially they're paid by your creditors. You're not asked to pay anything extra beyond what you can afford to repay. So, for example, if you were doing a consumer proposal for $300 over 36 months, so paying back you know close to $10,000-ish on perhaps $30,000 of debt, all you're going to pay each month is the $300 payment. Your creditors are going to get the majority of that. Some of it will be kept by the trustee for cost of administration. But you pay nothing to start the proposal, nothing to meet with the trustee. When you sign the documents, you don't make any upfront payments. All you start to do is to make that minimum monthly payment, of, in this case, the $300, and everything is included from there in the fees. And I know that you talked about some of the key differences between a consumer proposal and and other types of of debt repayment programs. Are there some that you want to make sure that we include in this segment, Blair? Yeah, I think there's one in particular to to focus on, um, and that's an idea of a not-for-profit credit counseling plan, because I see that advertised very heavily. I know others do, too. Uh, And it can sound a lot like a consumer proposal, because what a not-for-profit credit counselor will offer is what's called a debt management plan, where they say, we'll consolidate all your debt together and we'll freeze the interest and isn't that great and if you didn't know about a proposal you'd say well that is great I don't have to pay any interest and I get to pay things off don't have to go into bankruptcy that's amazing but when you compare that to a consumer proposal a couple of really important differences so first off in a consumer proposal you're only paying back what you can afford to repay and it's usually significantly less than the full amount so if someone can offer 25 cents on the dollar in a consumer proposal but they'd have to pay a hundred cents on the dollar because a credit counselor can't legally reduce your debts you know obviously that person would be better off their household 
budget would be a lot better off by pursuing a consumer proposal. So a consumer proposal is often a much lower cost option than working with a not-for-profit credit counselor. But what's even more important too is just the power of the tool. So when you're doing a consumer proposal, it's legally sanctioned. You have all protection from creditors. Nobody can opt out at any point. Uh, if you're dealing with a credit counselor, uh, there's none of that legal sanction. This is just an informal arrangement with each of the people that you owe money to. They could opt out. They could decide to sue you separately. And if you owe any money to the government, whether it's for student loans, income taxes, or anything like that, it can't be dealt with at all by a credit counselor. So it might not solve your entire problem. You might end up paying too much, and your credit is going to be roughly the same as if you did a proposal as opposed to working with a credit counselor. So definitely encourage everybody to investigate all options. Uh, but in, in most cases, a consumer proposal is by far the better option. And of course, again, I'll just repeat it as we end the segment, uh, a licensed insolvency trustee is the only one that can negotiate, organize, put in place a consumer proposal for you to be able to move forward cleanly and, and have everything looked after properly and legally. Uh, so again, that's why I can't say enough good things about Sands and Associates. They're easy to get a hold of. Their phone number is 1-800-661-3030, or you can go to their website, uh, take a look at it. Sign up there as well. Get your appointment through the website at sands-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates, helping you get out of debt. So this one's all about moving on after personal bankruptcy. Money problems don't have to last forever. We're going to learn about how to move on with your life after bankruptcy. And boy, this is going to be such a good segment um, because it feels like well, for folks who are in it or going into it or contemplating bankruptcy, uh, you know, the, the other side of it is probably the something that they can't even believe is possible at this point, Blair. Yeah, you know, no one who comes into my office is typically having the best day of their life. And I, I understand that. And what we can do is we can meet that person with empathy, with kindness, and with optimism, with the benefit of, you know, over the last 30 plus years, more than 50,000 people in BC have used our services and been that much better off for doing so. But I understand in the moment when you're feeling like I can't meet my obligations, um, you know, I've got this conception of a bankruptcy proceeding that is probably a whole lot worse than the reality of it, uh, you know, it can be a difficult period in someone's life. Uh, and what we do is we just shine a light. We can show exactly how a bankruptcy could work. We can explain it's not this public shaming that you might think. It's not a proceeding that leave, leaves you with literally nothing, not even your dignity. It's meant to help you get back on your feet, get a financial fresh start. And it's meant to be a, a win on all sides, you getting rid of the debt and then becoming a productive, contributing consumer where the banks can all make money again in the future. Um, there's a lot of, of optimism that can come through a bankruptcy proceeding. Um, what bankruptcy means in Canada is personal bankruptcy. It's a legal solution. It allows an individual to get debt relief and have their debts forgiven. What happens when you file for bankruptcy is you get immediate debt relief, and then you work through the process to receive an official discharge, which is your release from bankruptcy. And at that time, all the debts that you filed for bankruptcy, they're frozen on the day you file. Once you work through the, the proceeding of bankruptcy, satisfy the obligations you have to do, all of those debts are considered forgiven and legally written off by your creditors. We're going to talk about this a little bit later, but working through the process of bankruptcy, it's not typically years. Uh, it can be as little as nine months. So we're not talking about a 10-year plan. We're talking about something that can pretty quickly get your life back on track. Excellent. Okay. So where do you want to start? Do you want to, you know, what, is it, what does it mean to file for bankruptcy in this country? 
Yeah, well, I, I think first off, something for people to know is that the option to, and decision to file for personal bankruptcy is yours and yours alone. There's no qualifying body that's going to look at you and say, oh, no, you're not worthy of this relief. It's your option. And conversely, I've never met a client who's been forced into a bankruptcy. So as much as your creditors might threaten, you know, they're going to take you to court and force you into bankruptcy, that just doesn't happen. What happens is an individual finds themselves with too much debt, more debt than they're able to pay, and they seek out a licensed insolvency trustee. And the individual gets to choose that licensed insolvency trustee. And that's why we know at Sands & Associates, it's so important you know, to treat the clients with respect, with dignity, with empathy um, as they reach out, because we're not the only trustee that's available. Um, the legislation is what it is, but it really that working relationship with your trustee, that's why people make the choice on which firm they're going to work with. Uh, they want to feel like they're going to be valued um, and have you know as smooth as, as possible a ride through an insolvency proceeding. Uh, what's the eligibility to file for bankruptcy is you just have to owe more than $1,000 and not be able to repay that debt. So that amount hasn't changed since the Great Depression when $1,000 was a huge amount of money. And I've got nobody that files for bankruptcy at $1,000 of debt. But do people file at five, ten, fifteen thousand? dollars $15,000? Yeah, depending on the situation, on their income, on the stress level they're experiencing. You know, essentially, if you've got more debt than you're able to handle, bankruptcy is an option to consider. It's not the only option, but it's certainly an option um, that, that can and have some merit. And finally, when you start the bankruptcy, it means that you no longer have any obligations to your creditors. Uh, you start to work with the trustee. The trustee steps in the middle like a referee, explaining to your creditors how they have to back completely off and explaining to you, here's what you have to do to complete the bankruptcy successfully. Okay. Sands and Associates, that's who Blair is. Uh, you can give them a call. They've got offices all over British Columbia of bankruptcy, or if you feel that bankruptcy is your next step, or you, at least you want to sit down and talk about it, 1-800-661-3030 is the number. And I wanted to ask you, Blair, when it comes to bankruptcy, I'm just assuming that a bankruptcy would virtually uh, resolve all types of debt that someone would have. That's right, Elaine. And that's the right way to say it is it's virtually all types of debt. So any credit cards, student loans, lines of credit, amounts owing to government, to private individuals, you know, going through my mind, just about every debt that you have can be dealt with in a bankruptcy. Uh, a couple of exceptions to that are the things that would just make sense. So things like child support or alimony, those can't be discharged in a bankruptcy. Those are family obligations that have to be either the court will determine uh, or satisfied over time. Um, other than that, you know, things like a car loan or a mortgage, if you go into a bankruptcy, it's not an automatic thing that you have to give up your house or your car. If you're able to continue making payments on a mortgage or a car loan, uh, depending on the amount of equity that's there, most people are able to retain all of their assets through the bankruptcy. And what happens when you're going through a bankruptcy, what you're required to do, there's a lot of myths and there's a lot of thinking. Again, it can be a five, six, seven year pro program. Uh, again, for most people, it's about nine months from when it starts to finish and the key things that an individual has to do is kind of three big things so number one for every month that someone's in bankruptcy they have to file a monthly budget so they have to just track their income track where the money went they don't need proof of all their expenses just the proof of the income each month and that's to ensure the person's living within their means each month and it's also to determine how long a bankruptcy would last and what payments they're required to make so about 80 percent of the work an individual does in a bankruptcy uh, is just keeping that monthly budget, which is just really great financial hygiene, just a great
great habit to get into. Uh, second thing is they have to attend two financial counseling sessions. They're private one-on-ones, not a group session or anything like that. Just one-on-one really detailed counseling to help understand what created the, the situation of the insolvency uh, and how do we avoid that in the future. Uh, and then the last thing is the person has to make some payments. So for 80% of people who are low income, they file for bankruptcy. It's over and done with inside of nine months. And over those nine months, they're required to pay a total cost of $2,300, which is about $255 per month. Usually it's a whole lot less than what they were paying on their debts. And again, after nine months, that's their full obligation. They move on leaving all the debt behind. That's amazing. Nine months versus seven years, which is sort of what the the myth is that's out there. Mm -hmm. Crazy. So what happens when you're done? What's how does the discharge work? The completion work, Blair? Yeah, once you've finished the the bankruptcy, so the nine months are over, you've done the budgets, done the counseling and paid the fees, you receive an official discharge from bankruptcy, which is my favorite part of the job is signing those discharge certificates because I know how much it means to somebody when they get that certificate that says, as of this day, you are full and finally released from all of these debts that you have that were dragging you down before. Not those exact legal words, but pretty close to it. <laughs> um, so you get your certificate of discharge. Uh, from then, the biggest focus is just on rebuilding your credit. It's not that we want to rush you back into credit far from that. But a lot of people have hesitations for filing a bankruptcy because they think, you know, it's, it's going to kill their credit for the rest of their life. They'll never be able to be financially successful again. Uh, and that's completely false. So what happens when you finish the bankruptcy is people can start rebuilding their credit. And in as little as two to three years, you could probably qualify for a mortgage without any crazy risk premium, even get a, a car loan at standard rates. But it's depending on you really making some good positive stories on your credit report after the bankruptcy. What happens when you finish bankruptcy is for the next six years, if somebody pulls a credit report, they're going to see a bankruptcy has been filed. Um, But again, if someone does their own research or just from my experience, it's about a two or three year calendar from when someone can start to move to a secured credit card, to an unsecured credit card, to finally being again considered for mortgages, lines of credit, so on and so forth. So not a life sentence by any means. You do have to do the right things after the bankruptcy, which is just paying everything on time all the time. And we tell you exactly how to do that in the counseling sessions. uh, It's certainly something you will recover from. Excellent. So if you're in thinking uh, that you want to learn either about bankruptcy as well as the bankruptcy alternatives that can help you deal with your debt for good, like for good period, you can book your free financial consultation with a very caring, non-judgmental Sands & Associates debt help expert. And it's very easy to do. The phone number is 1-800-661-3030, or you can visit their website, which is just terrific, filled with good questions and loads of answers, thoughtful, kind answers on on way, on a way that'll give you a way to, to move forward on this at sands-trustee.com. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.